We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Wednesday, Wednesday, December 21st. It's the first day of winter for a technicality, right? It's still been cold. It's been cold regardless. It's going to be like a million degrees below zero in most of the country this weekend. So these these totals in the in the football games are pretty damn low. We can talk about that a little. We can talk about whatever you want. It's uh, it's uh, whip it out. It's whip it out Wednesday. It's wild card Wednesday. Whip it out Wednesday. That's like an Opie and Anthony thing, right? If you were, if you listen to the radio in the Northeast, I think whip it out Wednesday. I think that's what it was. I think it was Opie and Anthony. I think so. But whatever. It's whatever you want. Whatever you want Wednesday. I see what is Wata's Wednesday. Wata's putting in the uh, putting in the, the 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 poker stuff. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. Right? Suki sings here. Good morning. Kickstarts here. Good morning. Where's Nerdy Tenor? If I want to talk about poker, got to wait for Daniel Hutchings to show up, right? So, yeah. So, give me those thumbs up buttons. Hit the thumbs up button. Hit the thummy thumbs. 
Hit the subscribe, scribes. Hit the notification belly bells. And because uh, we got plenty of stuff on the channel later today. We got the NBA Grinders Live. We got an NBA slate. We got French time. We got uh, PGA going. No, 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 no PGA. Not, not, not until January. Right. I think so. Right. They're on. They're on a break. Uh, got NFL stuff. Right. We got two slates this weekend. We got a 10 game slate on Saturday, three game slate on Sunday over the, the Christmas weekend. Right. They, they said, why did they schedule Christmas on the weekend? Right. It's a, it's, a, it's up to the calendar. Right. So you're going to play on Christmas Eve. I don't know. I don't know if you do things on, on like m- me and my wife, we're going up to her family on Christmas. So Christmas Eve, I could play the slate and be perfectly fine. But Sunday slate, no, ain't playing. Three game slate, whatever happens, happens. Go, go up and deal, deal, deal with the mother-in-law or whatever. But, uh, but it is Wednesday. And what does, has put in the, the poke, the poker suits in the chat, right? Yeah, yesterday I played poker for the first time in like almost seven months, right? Got the itch, I guess, right? The last time I played was in Las Vegas, when I went to Las Vegas in May. Right. I really don't play. I don't play that often. I used to, I mean, obviously I used to play like 60 hours a week for like five years straight, but, uh, not much, not much anymore. Went, went to the, the casino over here across the, across the river here in Louisville, Caesar, Sun, Southern Indiana to check it out. Quiet Tuesday. There were only like two or three games running and, uh, not much has changed. Right. I said, okay, I'm going to go and Play, play whatever I was going to play, 2-5, no limit, with the $1,000 max buying. They didn't have that game running, so they had a 1-2, no limit, blind game, 300 max. And, uh, yeah, the players haven't changed. Players really haven't changed. I, I'm always, But every, every time I haven't played for a long time, I always go, it's like, have they gotten better? Have they? Are they playing differently? Right? Are, are the, are the things that an average player thinks, are, are, they, are they more sophisticated, less sophisticated? I have no idea. And, uh, and and I found out that it's pretty much pretty much the same. It's been the same in those types of games for since I started playing it, probably 2002. So not much not much has changed. And I'm the thing that I'm good at in poker is beating average players, right? The really bad players, yeah, you you could beat them, but it just it doesn't take much skill to beat them. Just sit and wait for hands and value bet. That's it, right? And then the really good players, then you just find a better table. It's very similar to DFS, right? Right, you go into the DFS lobbies. It's like, do you want to play head head to heads, three mans, whatever, with the best players in the world? Probably not. Right? Do you even want to play GPPs? I know I want to find the weakest opponents. Right? So you find the weakest opponents, but there's a category of what the weakest opponents are. Right? You either have weakest opponents because they're complete donkeys, they have no idea what they're doing, or people that are average but you know not not profitable. But it's easier to predict those players. So if you if you were playing a head-to-head in DFS against a complete rando, it's quite possible you on an NFL slate you you open uh, you, you, the cards turn up you open it up and they have players that it's like wow they they're playing eight guys that you didn't even consider in head-to-heads or cash games their lineup projects twelve points lower than yours and maybe they get lucky right and then if you're playing against average people a lot of times you're looking like oh okay they they played a four v four off your lineup that's still three points lower projected. But it's like you could okay. Everyone's gonna play this. De- this defense is too cheap, right? This running back, you know, this fifty-four hundred dollar running back that everyone's playing, like they they get those things right, and then everything else is kind of okay. That was that was a little bit suboptimal, but you can kind of predict what what they're gonna do. So in poker, I'm I'm exceptionally good at 
at beating average players because they play, they play on the second level. They're as talked about in the, the theory of DFS. You pick up a theory of DFS.com. There are levels of thinking. There are levels of thinking in any game environment. First level, second level, third level. Okay. First level is what do I have? Right. In poker would be what, what do I have? What, what is my hand? Right. You're playing hold'em. You're like, I got ace queen. Right. Something like that. In DFS, it's what's my lineup? What lineup am I playing? And that's all they think about. That's the, 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 the depth of what people think about. That's first level thinking. Second level thinking is what do I have? And what do I think my opponents have? Or my opponent has? So in DFS, if you're playing a head-to-head, you'd be like, okay, I have this. What do I think they're going to play? Okay. And I'm using a head-to-head example. You could use a GPP example. What do I think the field is going to do? Right? That type of thing. In poker, it's very similar. What do I have? Like, oh, I have ace queen. What do I think my opponent has? I think my opponent has pocket jacks or something like that, right? Typically, you don't you don't put a player in a hand. It's more of a hand range, but the example is the same nonetheless. And then what's the third level? Third level is what do I have? What do I think my opponents have or my opponent has? And what do I think my opponent thinks I have? Okay, that's third level thinking. Now, now the worst players in both poker and DFS typically are first-level thinkers. What do I have? That, that's all they think. Of. They, they, they're not even. They're barely, if ever, acknowledging what I have, what what anyone else would have. So, in a DFS in a DFS uh, environment, would be I'm just going to play lineups and not care about ownership, right? I don't care. I don't, who cares what anyone else has? Doesn't matter. I'm just going to try to play the best lineup, and that's it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. In poker, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, I got, I got pocket queens. I bet. You know, the board comes out on the flop and and hold them right. They bet whatever, and they're like, you, they're not even considering what what the. There's five other people in the hand. There's a jack on the board. There's a not. They're not even thinking what 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 could all these other people have. They're just like, no, I got pocket queens, and it's the, there's there's no card higher than that on the board, and they just keep on betting, right? No regard in what their opponents have right to beat those types of people i mean typically you just typically need to have a hand most of the time those are the type of people that call 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 very weak very passive and you're most likely going to get a showdown which means the way to beat them is to just play the bet play better hands and when you're ahead you bet when you're behind you call if you're getting the right odds and if not you fold and that's it that's it. And you just sit there and, wait, and you basically wait for hands. Okay. But then you play against second level players, right? Which is most average players. Think on the second level. What do I have? And what do I, what, 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 what do you have? What do I think you have? Now, how they think about what, what do you have is typically very primitive, but they do think about it. Okay. And when they're, they are thinking about that, you can operate on the third level. Which is what do, I, what do I think my opponents think I have, and then exploit that, and then take advantage of that, and manipulate people that way. Very similar in DFS, right? What do I have, right? First level. What do I think the field is going to do? Second level. And what 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 do I think the field is going to do based on what they think I'm going to do? 
Now in poker, I mean, obviously you have, you have solo P like it's one person. It's not the field against each other, but the third level is like the situations like this past week with like Miles Sanders or Isaiah Pacheco, that type of thing. Where like, I didn't play any Miles Sanders because I knew he was going to be over-owned, even though the projected ownership had him at like 12% owned. I knew he was going to be over 20%. But a lot of people played Miles Sanders going, I'm going to play 12% Miles Sanders. Well, he's only going to be 12% projected owned. And I'm like, no, he's going to be like 22. Then when he comes in at like 28% owned, people are like, oh, but I was going to play him at 12, but I didn't know he was going to be 28. It's like, yeah, that's those are second level thinkers, not thinking on the third level of what you every you're looking at a 12% Miles Sanders. I'm looking at a 12% Miles Sanders. The, the guy down the street's looking at 12% Miles Sanders. Everyone and their mother's looking at 12% Miles Sanders. They're all thinking like, I'm going to play a 12% Miles Sanders. It's not going to be 12% anymore. So by thinking in the third level, you're like, okay, how are people going to react to the information that everyone is still is looking at also? And then how could you exploit that? Well, that's how I adjust projected ownership, right? Very, very similar to poker, right? Very similar to poker. You, you have a hand, you know, you, you raise or whatever. Someone calls you, right? The flop comes down and then you have to think in terms of, okay, what do I have? What's my hand value in general in the relation to the pot? What do I think my, what range of hands do I think my opponent could have based on, I raised in mid position and I got called on the button by one caller and everyone else folded. Okay. Based on what I've seen out of this player, what ranges of hands could he have? Right. Very, very tight player. I mean, prob probably doesn't, it's probably not sitting there with seven, four offsuit calling a raise. Probably not. Probably not in his range. Very, very, very minute possibility. But let's say it's a guy, someone that like literally calls, like is playing almost every hand. Well, now seven, four could be in his ring. I mean, now, now the range of hands can be God knows what, but thinking in those terms of like, what could my opponent have based on what I've seen? And then as you add more data and actions that happen at the table in multiple hands uh, over time, you start developing like a dossier, a profile probabilities of and certain player types and opponents at the table. So on that type of hand, you know, I raise, they call and the board comes down King, something, whatever. And I have ace King or something and I make, and I bet, and then they raise me. Right. So I'm like, okay, what ranges of hands could they have in this act? What ranges of hands could they have? And what hands would they be raising right here? Based on what I've seen, them do over the past four hours. Have I ever seen them raise with air? Have I ever seen them raise on a draw? Have I ever seen them raise with, with if they have a one pair hand on the flop, are they more likely to raise now? Are they more likely to play passively? I don't know, right? That's what you have to determine. And then on top of that, you have to go, how have they possibly adjusted they're their actions based on what they think I have. So they're think they're operating on the second level. So they're going, okay, I've seen, I now have to create my own, it's called table image. Like what's the dossier? What is their dossier on me? What do they think of me? What have they seen me do? 
Now, a lot of times I'm not, if I'm not, if I'm not called at the end, I'm not going to show my cards. So I have to realize that maybe, maybe for the past hour, I've been raising like every other hand, but I've gotten hands. I've, you know, I've, I've gotten Kings twice and aces 14 times or whatever, whatever it is, but they, they don't see it most of the time to them. They think that oh, I'm some wild, crazy, loose, aggressive player. In actuality, I've just been getting really good. I've just been getting good starting hands, but they don't know that, right? They don't know what I have. What have they seen? Now, if I, if I, if I only raised twice in the past two hours, right. And they saw one showdown of mine and I had pocket Kings. Like it's more likely that my raise that their hand range starts to get much narrower because they think that I'm more likely than not to have a very good starting hand. So now I can narrow their range because I know, or I have a likelihood of knowing what they're thinking about my hand. So keeping track of that at the table, that to me, that's the whole game of poker. Of how, how, you, how you dip in and out of different styles and create dossiers on all the different players. Now, if you play online, there's stuff like Poker Tracker. Where you can all come down mathematically, where you said VPIPs and, and raising ranges and all that type of stuff. Live poker game, you can't do that, right? You have you have you have to do that yourself. You have to get the feel of the game, and that's where the directionally accurate type of stuff comes in. But you're doing this like every hand. This is why this is why a lot of top DFS players came from poker. You're in a constant state. You're in a 100% constant state of weighing probabilities, of computing expected values. Maybe not exactly, right? Comparing hand, uh, hand probabilities, like a hand, uh, hand combinations versus hand ranges. All the time, like every hand. If you're playing live, maybe you're playing 30 hands an hour. So you're doing this every hand. And you're playing with very similar people at the table. See, that's the difference between why I didn't like online poker as much much more mechanical, right? Especially if you're playing with a HUD, a heads-up display. And I played online poker even before HUDs existed. There you could just, you know, just like, oh, okay, you have numbers. Oh, 27% VPIP and, and you know, the, the, the hand ranges and you run it through a solver and everything like that. But you don't get that at a live poker table. You, you, have, to, you, have, to, you have to do it. You have to estimate and do all that type of stuff in your head. A lot of people that play online primarily, not very good at doing it live. They may have a good strategic sense. Obviously, they're not probably not bad players. Well, I got used to doing it. I played mostly live and mostly against average players that I've played with for long periods of time. So I've gotten very good at just profiling players and really narrowing rages down based on how they play because I'm paying attention to everything everyone's doing. Everything that I'm doing, what did they see? What hands have I played against them? What lines have I taken that they've noticed? Are they even noticing my lines? Lines meaning your your, your betting pattern. Then you use that against them, right? If you're a third level player, if you're thinking on the third level, you're, you're now going to use that against them. So once you're in a constant state of calculating expected values, Weighing probabilities, like you, you move over to DFS and like every, everything becomes a probability. Everything, every you click on a player's name into a lineup, it becomes, well, what's the like, what's their range of outcomes versus this range of outcomes versus how many people are going to play this? Or, you're just in a constant state of doing so. Now, obviously in poker, there's only 52 cards. It's, a, it's much more fixed. 
than it is in DFS, where we have the imperfect information is player performance of 600 players on a slate that all have correlations to each other and everything like that. In poker, it's a lot, a lot simpler. It's not simple, but it's simpler. So if you were to play, if you, if you got good, you studied playing poker and you played a lot of poker for years upon years upon years, you're just, the, the concepts that are in the course, like Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, are not are not are not foreign. They make sense. You're just like, oh, it's like poker, but it's this. Oh, that's the type of thing that I do in poker, but it's like this. But your brain has been rewired to constantly think in probabilities. And then when you play poker, that's how you should be thinking, and all and and all in probabilities. And what what is the what actions can you take in each hand or as a macro strategy to make the most amount of money in the least amount of time, right? The highest hourly rate type of thing. And then also mitigating risk, right? You can play really, really loose aggressive in a very high variance. You could be shoving on draws and do all that type of stuff. Just realize your swings are going to be bigger. That may, that may be, depending on who you're playing, may be the the more profitable strategy, macro-wise. So like when I play poker, I don't have a style of play. I play on the basis of how the table plays, about how opponents play. So there are a lot of games, you know, that there used to be a 20-40 at the Taj, a limit hold'em game. Wild as hell. I mean, wild, wild. Three-bet, seven-way pots, you know, like stuff like that. Like that type of game, you play much differently than a game where like half the hands are folded around to the blinds, right? Or a game where six people limp in and no one ever raises. Those are all different types of games. And how to exploit those types of games to get a higher return, you may change your style of play. So like... In loose, aggressive games, I tend to play, I tend to come across or I play more weak type. I induce more bluffs. I start with much better hands, right? If it's a lot of multi-way pots, if people just like you raise and five people call, you start throwing away hands like King Jack and you play him more hands like pocket pairs and small suited connectors. Hands that play better multi-way. Right. You're going to be playing a five-way pot. You don't want to be stuck in the situation where you're playing, you're, you're at a position playing a one-pair hand against four opponents that have hand ranges that include half the deck. Like that, yeah, you're probably going in with the best hand, but as far as navigating that and playing a big pot against four opponents, probably better spots. They're better, better more comfortable spots at least. So you'd much rather play, you know, five, six suited and, you know, board comes queen, jack, nine, like you just, you're done, right? It's a five-way hand. You just, you just wait, wait to hit a big draw, a big hand and hope there's a lot of action. And most likely there is. But then at weak tight games where people are like, it's a one, two game and everyone's a two, 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 and everyone's seeing a flop with $8 in the pot. Those types of games, I tend to play much more loose, aggressive. A lot of times I'm raising in late position with any hand that I play. Right. And the thing is, is that the byproduct from a macro standpoint of raising 
in late position, number one position means a lot in poker. Okay. So being in position, you're, you're, you're going to win more hands just simply by betting after checking, regardless of what, what is even in your hand, but it's more advantageous in general. So if I'm going to be in late position, I'd, I'd like more money in the pot. So I stand, I stand to win the pot more often than not. So if I'm going to play a hand in late position, the button, the hijack, the cutoff like that, the late position, I mean, I even show, like you even see here, right? If I'm playing in these, in these positions over here, most of the time I'm raising, no matter if I, to average players, they go, oh, I only raise with ace king and kings and aces and, you know, jacks and nines and ace queen and king queen suited or something. But that's how they think. So like when I start raising back here, you know, they start putting the other players at the table in the beginning, start putting me on those types of hands. Oh, okay. Must have a good, oh, okay. Ace queen probably or something, you know, some, some type of, and they don't know that I'm, maybe I raised with 10, eight suited pocket fours. I mean, I, whatever, whatever it is, right. You know, it's, uh, the effective stack size is 300 to 500 and I'm raising the 10 bucks or something. Now, as I do that, like, obviously average players will realize that like, most likely I'm not getting a great hand all the time. It feels like to them, it feels like every rotation around I've raised like twice every rotation. So they, they constantly see me raising, but it's almost always in late position. If it's in early position, I, I mean, I have a hand that's, that should, that's strong, but they don't realize that. Cause a lot of times more than half the time, they never see my hand because it never gets to a showdown. So I'm developing an image that comes across as loose aggressive. And they may not take into account the positions that I'm in. And because they're half more than half the time, they're not seeing a showdown. They're not getting any information off of me. I just look like a wilder player. Maybe not a drunk, not, I'm not a drunk guy, you know, spewing chips or anything. They're like, okay, here's a, here's a loose aggressive player. So now I have to adjust how they're going to play against me when they think I'm loose aggressive. So if I'm sitting in late position and I'm on the button and whatever, I'm making 12 and three people call me. Plop comes down and goes, check, check, check. I have to go, okay. They, they're all checking to me because they think that I'm, I'm going to bet because I'm, I'm so aggressive. But against three of three opponents, and you know, I raised with seven nine suited, and the board comes with three high cards, and I'm up against three opponents. Like I, I'm checking. Like I'm I, the the probability. I have to weigh the probability of there's like forty bucks in the pot, right? The probability that I could get three opponents to fold. After they've limped and I've raised on a board that has three high cards and I have none of it. Is it worth betting 20 bucks to win 60? Right? 20 bucks to win 60, three to one. Right? Three to one payout. Am I gonna get all of am I gonna get, am I gonna get all of my opponents to fold? More than what? 25% of the time? Probably not. Especially if my image is that, you know, I most likely going to bet. And most, and if any of these guys had a hand, they're probably going to try to check raise me because they think that I'm going to bet here. Now, obviously, if I check behind and over here, I'm most likely going to not win the pot, but I'm, I'm up against three opponents. But now let's say we take that away. We take the, these opponents away. 
And I do the same thing, you know, limp, limp, limp. I raise to 12. Everyone folds except for one person. So now there's one opponent. Same exact hand. I have seven, nine suited. There's, you know, three high cards on the board. My opponent checks to me now. Now I could bet 20 into a $60 pot. Or, well, now it's it's more. Now it's a $25 pot or something. Now I could bet 10 bucks into a $25 pot. Or let's say it's a $30 pot. I bet 15 Half the pot size. So I'm betting 15 to win 30. Two to one. Will my one opponent fold more than 33% of the time? Now, based on my image, I mean, like, I could have hit any of this. I mean, like, this three is ace, queen, 10. I could possibly, I could get queen, jack to fold. I could get 10 jack to fold. I'm probably not going to get ace, x to fold. I could... He probably doesn't have kings. Probably would have raised before the flop based on his, you know, an average player's thinking. Maybe I could get jacks to fold. Probably get jacks to fold. There are a lot of hands, hand combinations. Queen. I'm not going to get queen 10 or ace queen or anything to fold. I'm going to get eights to fold. I'm going to get sevens to fold. I'm going to get, there's a lot of hands that that I can't beat. That they could have that I could get to fold. Right here. Any, any combination of like ace-x, probably not. Queen, half the time, because it's second pair. Ten, I may I may get ten-nine to fold. Ten-jack, king-ten, even with the gut shot there. So, but I only need to get, I only, I'm only i betting 15 into a $30 pot. So just, if, they, if I get, if I get a fold here, a third of the top, more than a third of the time, I profit. It's plus EV. So I have to figure, can I get a fold more than a third of a time? Doesn't matter what happens in this individual hand. You're very similar to DFS. Doesn't matter what happens on Saturday slate. Did you make a plus EV decision? Now you may not know. I mean, you're dealing with human beings at a poker table, so you don't know, right? But that's the difference in playing. If there were four people in the hand, like, dude, yeah, maybe individually I could get them to fold 33% of the time, but not four guys. You have to out, you have to multiply those. It's like, okay, the shot. I'm 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 done. I'm done here. But now let's say let's say you change the hand. Let's say same type of situation. And let's say I have king jack, right? I, I play king jack or clubs or something. And I raised on the button, the 12. And three people called. And the, now the flop comes down ace queen 10. So I flop the nuts. Now what do I do? Now average players, they'd go check, 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 and they may check behind. They go, oh, I'm gonna slow play it. But there's only like, with three players in on a $12 raise, it's like 40 bucks in the pot. And let's say the effective stack size is like 300, 400 bucks. Well, if these people limped and then called, and like, let's not take away my table image. Like most likely, you know, if I'm going to get paid, I'm going to get paid here. Ace, queen, 10. Like what would they have that another card would come out like a two comes out. Does that help anyone? If they have a hand to pay me off, they have a hand now. And because I raise often in late position, they put my range of hands much, much differently. And because they think in terms of like slow playing big hands, they're not going to expect a bet with the nuts right here. And they're much more likely because of they see me raising. I may get a call. It's ace, queen, 10 on the board. 
I may get a call out of Ace-9, King-Queen, Queen-Jack. Obviously, obviously, if I run into, you know, set of tens, you know, I'm all the money's going. Right? I would love that with the straight. I'm going to get a lot more calls now. So now with three people in, now I'm, I'm betting. If it was one person in, maybe I could consider checking behind. But against three opponents, it's like, how do I get more money into the pot? Right? If I bet 20 bucks here into a $40 pot, I'm not looking to win the $40 pot. How often do at least one of my opponents call? Well, that goes dramatically up because there's three opponents versus one opponent. And what do they think about what I'm doing? What have they seen me do? And because they view me as loose aggressive, they're probably, they're, they're more likely when I bet to think that I have a medium strong hand at best. And I'm hoping that someone with ace queen check raises me. That's what I'm looking for. But if I let a card go, like I've lo- I've lost one street to make the pot bigger when I have the nuts. Now, if I was a weak, if I was playing very weak tight, right? If I was playing very weak tight, ace queen 10 people, the three people that I'm up against will go, well, this, if I bet here, that's more likely that Oh, he probably has. I could I could have eight, I have queens. I could have a much stronger hand. So I may, if I would had a weak tight image, someone with ace nine suited or something probably may fold top pair. Ace jack may even fold. Queen 10 probably doesn't, but they would consider it, right? Because they it's like, oh, this guy doesn't raise that much. Right? He hasn't played many hands. So if that was my image, I'm check, check, check. Maybe I do check behind, right? I'm weighing the probability of how often do I get called by weaker hands, especially weaker hands that I crush, that I have like nine to one plus equity against. I want those hands to call. But most likely based on how I've played and how they're viewing my play, I'm not going to get those. But a lot of these games, a lot of these one, two, 300 max games play quite weak tight. So most, most of the games that I play in here, at least I tend to, I tend to be come across as loose and aggressive. So a lot of times, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm wasting kind of $10 with some raises, but from a macro strategy, I'm going to wake up and take all your chips like that. That's how I play. No limit games. I think that's one very big difference between I I what I consider to be good cash game, no limit players, and average ones. My whole goal when I when I sit down at a table for eight hours or whatever, a session, how do I how do I set everything up to get all your chips in one hand? That's it. That's how that's how I play. So it's not about fighting over the $30 pots, right? That, that I mean, there, yeah, there's money out there. Why not take it? Sure. You fight, a, you, you bet a little here, you bet whatever, you know, you maneuver. But those those small pots are what you're doing to manipulate other people. What did they see me do? What did I see them do? What do they think that I think I'm going to do? And most average players think that everyone else thinks averagely, if that's a word. So because you could better predict what 
a competent average player is going to do. That's like knowing, that's like having ownership in, in DFS. Oh, I know. I know what people are going to do. That doesn't mean, does it mean I could win purely on that? You're like, no, but I've increased my chances of doing so. Right. Trevor says, you're thinking old school exploitively. Game theory solvers is how the game is being played at the highest level. Now, I agree with you. What I'm the stuff that I'm talking about right now is very mid 2000s poker, very two plus two poker. But the thing is, is that uh, you don't have to learn solvers if you're playing in games that are like this that I'm describing. That's that's the point, right? It's like oh, at the highest level they're doing this. It's like well, I'm not playing at the highest level. I'm not I'm not looking I'm not looking to play at the highest level. I'm looking to beat seven schmucks at a casino. And the seven schmucks at a casino still play poker as if, if it's like 1982, right? So I'm not thinking in terms of well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna limp re-raise with queen three of hearts because of this guy's whatever. Like, dude, why, why, why are you putting yourself in spots that you don't need to put yourself? Well, it's it's an extra plus whatever two cents of EV or whatever over the course of ten thousand hands or what? Like, dude, you're sitting at a table. I mean, I there was one guy at a table that, like, dude, he might as well have been playing with his hand face up. Like, that's how straightforward he was. That's how tight and straightforward this guy was. Probably not going to win much money from him or anything like that. Barely played a hand, barely limped in, open raised once every two hours, it seemed. You could barely tell he was there. Talk about narrow ranges. Like, it's 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 easy. You might as well play your hand face up. Why do I need solvers for this? Right? Right? I, I, raised, I raised to 12, and the guy that makes it 45... Everyone folds to me, and I'm looking down at ace-queen suited, and I just muck instantaneously. The guy shows me pocket kings. I'm like, like these are the types of people, how do you make, you're not going to make money off of many people because even the average, even the bad players, the average players are like, this guy doesn't do anything. He must have something. So they start throwing away hands that normally people would call with. When I'm playing in a weak tight game and I'm raising in all these these late position areas, they don't a lot of times they don't realize that it's late position. So like I'll raise under the gun with pocket aces or something, and I get five callers or something. Or someone someone has has ace has has uh, you know king queen and is raising. So it's like oh, I've seen you raise like four times in the past like nine hands. They raise me, and then I have to consider maybe calling and then try to trap them post flop. Or something on the flop and try to get all the money in there. Or sometimes I re-raise and I th- they go, yeah, no, they're gonna think that I think that they're bullying them or something, something like that. that's what happened yesterday. And I target people. I mean, like when I play poker, I t- I, l- I literally target people. I go, who's who's the person? Who's the who are the people at the table that I can exploit the most? How do I play in as many hands as possible against them? Because post flop, I'll I'll destroy p- people. 
I'm not talking when 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 you say post slop, you'll destroy people. It has nothing to do with bluffing. Oh, I could outplay people. That that's fancy play crap. I'm talking about losing the least on your worst hands and winning the most on on your medium strong hands and and the nuts and getting all the chips in with the nuts. So there was one hand yesterday. Like there's one guy. I was sitting. It was two seats over. So he he would be in the button position. I'm in the big blind position. That's where we're sitting at the table. So this is this is what I mean. This is what I mean by playing against other people's preconceived notions. So you need to know the context. This is this is a guy that was sitting at the table, loose aggressive. Okay? Not not like horrible player, but not a good player. Played too many hands, raised with too many hands, right? Over, basically overplayed big cards and small pairs. That's essentially the profile. Someone that has pocket fours in his three betting. Not three betting to isolate. Not three. Not three betting because they think that's about. I have a pocket pair. Someone made it ten. I'm going to make it fifty. With effective stack sizes of three hundred to four hundred. Not good. N- not very good. Or has like, oh, I got King Jack. I'm going to three bet with King Jack. Not in this type of game. You probably shouldn't be doing that. So that's the type of player. So there was a hand that was played. To, that's why you have to have context. So two hands previous to this. This is a this guy limped in under the gun. So the button was over here in the middle position, over here to be wherever. He limped he limped in under the gun with two bucks. I had pocket jacks. I make it 12. And that's my stand. Like I, I don't vary my raises because I it's always going to be the same amount. So you never never have a goddamn clue what I have. Right? So you always say it's oh, 12, 12, 12, 12. So they're 12. So like two people call me in here. And then the guy that limped in under the gun makes it 75. And this is that loose aggressive guy that overplays hands. Now I'm sitting in position with jacks. Effective stack size at this point was like, like we, I, he had me covered, but I had like 450 in my hand. Like 450. 500-ish. So I'm sitting there going, I'm in, if I call, if I call 75, there's going to be 150 in the pot and I have 450 behind. A third of the, if I, if you have a third, if the pot represents a third of your stack, essentially once, once you play the, if you put in any chips on the flop, you're, you're, you're essentially playing for your whole stack. This hand is going to be played for, your, your whole stack is in jeopardy. I've never seen this guy limp re-raise, right? He's raised. He's called raises, but I've never seen limp re-raise. But I know because we've been playing for two or three hours that he knows that I raise a lot, that I like, like he could, he could limp in. And if I'm going to play a hand, I'm going to right now, obviously I'm not in late position, but he doesn't realize that. He just knows that most of these hands are being raised. So it's like, he's going to play, he's, he could be cute if he wanted to. So because I know that, I'm like, this he must have he must have something. So I have jacks. If he has aces or kings, obviously I'm 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 in bad shape. But I have jacks. Now anyone else at the table, these average players will go, I have jacks, I re-raise or a call or something. But for it's not like he min-raised, and maybe we could play a flop. He made it 75. Now for this type of player, I don't think he has aces. Because this type of player is like, wants to get paid, 
but also wants to protect that. They think in terms of protecting their hand. I'm scared to play it. I want to take it down now, which is a horrible way of thinking. That's not that's not a plus EV way of thinking. You want you want to be called. You just want to be called at poor odds. That's that's it. I never not want to be called. So when you make it 75, I'm like, it's not aces. But I could see it being kings, queens, something, something, something like that. But this guy also have to realize he overplays high cards and small pairs. So it's quite possible he has sevens here. It's quite possible he has ace king even. But I've never seen him do this. So I took Jackson, I threw it, I said, mucked it. I didn't show it or anything, but I, I, I acted as if, yeah, you caught me, right? Type of thing, right? I raised the 12 because I've been raising the 12 every, every fourth hand, it looks, seems like. And he got me, right? Yeah, you found me out. But then he turned over, he showed me Ace King. Why am I telling you this? Because you have to take this context into the hand that's going to be played out three hands later. Two hands later, three hand, three hands later. So he did that. Okay. So now it comes around. He's on the button. I'm in the big blind. He straddles for 10 bucks. Because he's one of those type of guys, right? So you could straddle on the button in this in this card room, which essentially makes you last to act. So now the action on preflop will start on the small blind. Small blind folds. I look down, I have pocket aces. Ace of clubs, ace of diamonds. Okay, now if I raise here, because I raise a lot of hands, I'm pretty sure that the guy on the button will call me. He'll 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 defend, but I'm not sure how many people over here will do anything. And also, this guy was straddling on the button anytime he was on the button, and more than half the time, he'd raise on his straddle. More than half the time, not all the time, but a, a lot of times. So you know what I do? I just call. I call the 10 bucks and then like two other people call 10 bucks. Then it gets to him on the button. He makes it 30. So he adds 20 bucks on top. Okay. Perfect position for me. Now, now, now I'm going to re-raise. I got two people in between me. I got my isolated player, effective stack size, 500. Like how do, how do I, I want to get as much money in now as possible and still get called. But now I think in the back of my head, what just happened three hands ago? I raised him. He raised me and I mucked. Average players also think in terms of, I'm going to get you, right? They that Psychologically, they go, oh, maybe he's mad about X. I'm never mad about anything. I'm never on tilt. Right. Or at least I don't realize that if I am, I don't think that way, but average people think that way. So I'm like, maybe this, maybe this guy thinks that I'm, I'm pissed off that he raised me off a hand. So maybe he's going to actually give me a much wider range. If I, if I, if I raise here now, I'm going to raise anyway, because I have pocket aces and I trapped some players in preflop, but maybe he'll think that my hand is actually a little bit weaker than it could be. Right. So I make I make it 130 because the whole point is I want to get a third. I want to get I want to play this hand for all for all the chips now. Right. 
I don't want to make it. I don't want to make it seventy, then have to navigate a flop where I'm betting you know fifty bucks in or whatever. It's like I know I have the best hand now, and I know I have someone that's more likely to call me. If I make it one thirty, I think he calls me seventy percent of the time, regardless of what he has in his hand. But also remember, he limp re-raised with ace king. So now think of that. Okay, so now I have one thirty. He calls my hundred bucks raise. So now you're thinking of all that context. I'm. I'm first act now. The flop comes down 10-9 deuce. Rainbow. 10-9 deuce. I'm first act. Now this guy could have, I mean, his range of hands is this. Kings, queen. I mean, he could have aces. Yes. He could both have aces. If he had aces, he, pro- he probably, 95% of the time, re-raises the 130. He just shoves and we just both have aces. So I probably take away aces. Aces is less likely. If he has kings, he probably does that also, right? And we get aces versus kings pre-flop all in, whatever. Okay. If he has queens, maybe a lot of times that guy will do that also. But maybe he has queens, jacks, nines, ten. I mean, he could have nines or tens. It's a ten-nine deuce. Could have that. But most likely, ace-queen, ace-king, right? I have two aces, so it's less likely that he has an ace in his hand. King-queen, king-jack. This is the type of guy that would call a hundred dollar raise with like 10 Jack suited or something or King queen suited or ACE five suited, right? His range is very wide, not absurdly wide, not like seven, four wide, but wide enough. So now flop comes down 10, nine deuce, but he's also very aggressive. Now he's, if I check here, it's going to be very out of character based on what he's seen me play. I typically make continuation bets on heads up pots out of position. If I'm if I'm the pre-flop aggressor. Because most of most of the time people don't exploit that. Now in, in, in much, much uh tougher games, you have to balance that range a lot. You have to balance that action a lot more. But in these types of games, these one, two, three hundred max games, people don't exploit oh, too too high to over the higher frequency of continuation bets. Most they work too often, right? If you bet a third of the pot, you're gonna you're gonna win. You're gonna you're gonna get a fold more than half the time anyway. So it's just like if you just did it all the time in these types of games against one opponent, it's gonna be profitable. So like that's why I just pretty much do it all the time. So it's gonna be very odd if I check right here, based on the three bet preflop. To him, right? Because he's seen me. He's he's competent enough to have some clue of what what I'm doing. He's not good. He thinks too average. He thinks too black and white. But this, this right now, there's 200 and there's almost $300 in the pot. Okay. Now, if he has a hand on a 10-9 deuce board, if he has a hand like King Queen, like just like, yeah. And I bet half the pot, 150. And he has, he has me covered, but that's like effective stack size of like 350. It's hard for him to call there. Like even him, like what is he drawing to? And also it's going to be tough for him to raise because he's going to think that if I bet 150 and he goes all in for effectively 350, well, the extra $200 doesn't represent as much. So most likely I'm going to call that. So I'm not going to induce any type of bluff raise or anything by betting 150, right? So checking, I may not, I, I he probably checks back. He may be aggressive in bed anyway, 
But it's like I'm thinking in terms of what's the highest probability action that I can take based on everything that he's seen and everything that I've seen to get as much money in the pot now as possible. Now I could shove. Let's say I shove. But what does he call with? He's not calling with, probably not calling with King Jack. King, I mean, Ace Ten. He'll he'll probably call me with Ace Ten and lose, right? How many? How many? But how many combinations of Ace Ten are there? King Ten, Queen Ten. But it, still, that's a lot of money. He's going to think about it. So you know what I want to do because he's he's loose and aggressive. I want to make a bet that 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 he's more likely to raise than call. Okay, so instead of checking, I think checking is a is the lower EV EV action. I think going all in is the lowest EV action. It gets me the pot now, at least. And if he calls, I'm dead, right? If he calls, I'm I'm probably running into pocket tens or something, a set of tens. Which, if it happens, it happens. So I bet sixty five bucks, which is an under bet of the pot. So I bet sixty five, and I'm betting sixty five. I'm hoping. He makes it 150 because once he makes it 150, I can now shove and whatever happens, happens. So I think the highest EV action on this type of player, based on what he thinks I have is to bet 65, right? He doesn't realize that like a normal bet size that I would make here would be like 125 or 150. He doesn't realize that. So I'm like, what would an average person do? If they had like a weak, strong hand, like a, a strong, medium, strong hand. They probably wouldn't want to bet, but they probably wouldn't want to commit their stack. So that's what I'm looking to represent. A hand that I'm scared of of, of putting my whole stack in because I'm trying to induce a raise. So I bet 65. He calls the 65, which is very odd to me. Okay. So when he calls the 65, now think in terms of weighing probabilities. Okay, call 65 into a $365 pot, which is not that great big of a bet. If he if he had a jack queen, a draw, something like that, this is the type of guy that when I bet 65 would shove. That's what I'm looking for. Like if you have a draw right now or if some whatever type, I don't know what the hell it would be. Just shove right now. Just do the semi bluff, shove and I'll call and we'll run out the next two cards. I'll be ahead and whatever. But the problem, so that's why I'm betting 65 because I think the probability is high. So when he calls, it's like, what's his range of hands? Tens? He could have tens or nines. If he has a set, then God bless you. But this guy could have two over cards. I mean, like, I'm giving him, I'm giving him a five to one call. So I put him, I put him on a much weaker range of hands. Either he has Set of nines, set of tens. I think Jack Queen, those types of hands with two overs and a and a and a straight draw. I think he shoved. He's the type of player that's more likely to shove there. So I put him on actually a fairly weak hand. That he's like, well, for sixty five bucks for a three hundred plus dollar pot, I'll see another card. That's what I'm thinking. The next card comes out. It's a three, which doesn't change anything. It's ten nine deuce three rainbow. I'm first to act. So you know what I do? I think about the hand we just played three hands ago. And I go, he saw me limpery raise, and he's the type of player that he showed me his hand that limpery raised with ace king. Which is not something I typically do anyway. 
It's a 10-9 deuce three board. And I made a meet to him. I made a medium strong hand type of bet for 65 into a $300 pot. So he doesn't think that I'm that, he probably thinks I'm not that strong, but still probably a better hand than what he has. So how can I, now the three didn't change anything. So I still want, I want, how do I get the rest of his money in the pot right now? And if I run into pocket, if I run into a set of 10, so be it, right? Polarized. There's only three combinations of 10s. There's only three combinations of nines. There's like 120 combinations of God knows what other hands he could have. So the likelihood of him having 10s and 9s based on his actions is like maybe 5 to 10% of the time at best. So I feel like, can we get all the money in now? How do I get all the money in now? Now, now there's $420 in the pot, and I have like 300, and 300 or so bucks. I could easily just... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's bet three hundred. Like if I like, let's go through the probabilities. I bet I I go all in. I bet three hundred. How does he call? He maybe he calls me with Ace Ten, right? Just saw a lot of money in the potty. His top pair most likely doesn't have an Ace because I already have two Aces in my hand. King Ten, Jack Ten, those types of hands. Like he could fight like. Good portion of the time, maybe 33% of the time, he folds those hands. If I just go all in, right? Obviously, he calls me with the hand that beats me. Set of 10, set of 9, something like that. But let's say he has Queen Jack. How does he call me? I'd like, I think if he had Queen Jack for the straight draw on the two overcards, he would have shoved on the flop. So the likelihood of him having that hand goes down. So I was like, what the hell hand is he? Maybe pocket sevens? Maybe his pocket sevens or something like 10, nine, pocket eights? Some hand that weak. But if I bet right here, like based on my, based on my, like I would, I would, I, I have to bet like 120 or something, something like that, which now puts like pretty much makes me pot committed. And he'll know that because he thinks that. That's how they think. That's how that average player thinks. So I've bet 120. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm likely not gonna get called by anything that I want to get called by. 90% of the hands that he has, he's not gonna call a one $120 bet. I don't want to give a free card. I want I the whole point is to get all the money in now. 
I just want to get all the money in now. If I run into if I run into a set, then so be it. I could that could have happened on the flop. So if he he is a hand like King Jack, Queen Jack, Ace Jack, King Queen, Pocket Sevens, something like that. I'm not sure if I'm going to get a call, but based on how he thinks, based on the hand that we played three hands ago, what does a check represent to him? Well, go back, go back in the hand. If I check, this is what it looks like to him. I limp in. He raises out of the straddle, right? I call the straddle. He raises out of the straddle. I re-raise, which is something that he would do with a small pair or ace-king. He calls. The flop comes down with some garbage. I, I make a smaller bet than the size of the pot. At 65, and he calls me. And I check. You know what the hand that looks like to him? That looks like ace-king to him. He's going to think, got him. He's continuation bet on the flop. He made it small just so he wouldn't be pot committed, right? Maybe I could steal the pot right now, even though I might probably have the best hand with Ace-King. Then he called. So if I check first act here, if he has a hand like sevens, if he has a, if he has a hand like King-Jack or anything like that, he may think that he could buy. Now, because he could bet $350 into a $450 pot, He's going to think, how the hell does, how the hell do I call with ace king? How the hell do I call with, hey, if ace pocket sevens and I have, let's say, uh, I don't know, ace 10 or something, he thinks that maybe I'll, I'll, I'll fold that. I don't know how I have ace 10 in that spot, but whatever. This is what this guy thinks. So in my head, I'm like, I think the best way to get all the money in the pot right now is to check. I'm giving up a free card, but I also look at the, the board 10 9 3 2 rainbow and go i'm not sh- what draws are really here what that he could that it, it matches a hand that he could have does he have 7 8 probably not i'm thinking maybe a, i'm giving a free card to to queen jack so i have to be a, a king or an 8 is going to is is going to put me uh, is going to slow me down a little right King Jack, a queen comes down, you know, something, something like that. But there's not many cards like that. And the amount of range, the range of hand probabilities that he has is still way too wide. That's still only represents less than 10% of hands that he could have. So I'm like, okay, based on the way that the guy plays, I'm just going to check. You know what he does? Thinks for two, three seconds. He says all in. And I snap call. Call. Blank comes down, comes down on the river. He turns over, king queen. So basically, it's a gut shot straight draw with supposedly two overcards, but he didn't have. And I turn over aces, and I there you go, done. Had I bet the turn at one hundred twenty bucks, he probably folds. He's not probably doesn't raise. He probably thinks he doesn't have much folding equity. So based on. The way the hand was played, what's what's the best way that I could get all of his chips in the pot when I'm ahead? By checking there. Most average players will not do that. They will just bet it. They'll go, I have an overpair. 
I'm going to bet like on the flop, they're going to be scared, right? Oh my God, there's $260 in the pot. Like $400 behind. I'm going to bet $150 on the flop. Right? And then get raised. <clears throat> and not know if you're up against the set or not get called. And it's like, okay, so that, great. You won the pot, 260 bucks. How do you win every, how do you win all the chips from someone? It's not like the board came 10, 9, 10 jack with two spades, like where there were 700 draws out there. It's like, uh, I'll take a, I'll take a five to 10% risk on giving a, giving a gut shot free card or something like that. Then having to call and most likely having to call a hundred dollar bet on the river and losing or something. I gave up for the fact that against this type of player, that check and based on how the probability of what he saw everything before man beforehand that he misreads my hand because he's reading, trying to read my hand in some way, but he thinks way, way too much in black and white and an average. And I use his lines against him. I'm like, what's the type of betting line that, that he would play that I could play that, that he would think one thing when it's not that that's all. That's all to me. That's all poker. It's all hand reading and playing different lines and then figuring out what lines people could play. Like it's very rare. Like like here here the uh a line that goes check check call check call check raise on the river is very rarely a bluff unless it's against some the drunkest person in the world. Like check raises on the river in these types of games are like never bluffs or like like ninety nine percent never bluffs. So like those types of line like it's. Like those are lines where like you could like do you do you have the nuts fold? If you get if you get check check call check call check raise, uh, in a, especially in a heads up situation, it was like a six way pot maybe maybe so, but likely you're not running into the nuts that way. You shouldn't be calling there with one pair or something. But that's what I mean by figuring out lines how people play because the thing is, is that people tend. To not play in equal, I'm ten. They don't. Players at this level do not play in equilibrium in any sense of the imagination. And do you even have to play in equilibrium yourself? No, because they're not even aware of it. So they're not going to exploit you at all. So that's why. Why do you think I can make a continuation bet heads up first to act like every single time for half the pot, all the time, because it's going to be profitable all the time in these games. And in a game where that wouldn't be profitable, I'd find a new table. I'd just find a better game. But these people, most average players, they think very black and white and in lines and very similar to DFS. Do you play a guy? Do you not play a guy? Good shock, bad shock. Good play, bad play. Is he going to get there 100% of the time? 0% of the time. No, no distribution, no range of outcomes, no nothing. No care about what your opponents are going to play. So imagine playing, you know, thinking through hands like this 30 times an hour for eight to 12 hours a day for five years. You're in a constant state of what do I think this person is going to do? What did they see me did? What they that 27% of the time they have this and there's 16 combinations of these hands versus three combinations of those hands. He raises 70% of the time from this position that way. And maybe half the time he does like that's all you're doing constantly 
Now you're not sitting there like staring. Just it, most of the time, it gets to the point where it's almost instinctual. Just you just absorb it. That's what I mean by like I didn't play in six, six and a half months. I haven't played poker. I played in Las Vegas when I went there for wrestling. I sit down, going, "Okay, am I going to be rusty?" Within like twenty minutes, it feels like it feels like feels like that I've been playing like when back when I was twenty five years old. Like, oh, okay, this is, oh, this, nothing's changed much, right? I'm always I'm always concerned. Are the solvers or there's new there's new sophisticated play? People aren't people are more adept in this stuff, and it's like, no, damn, you go to you go to you go to these casino card rooms. You're playing these, you know, the the lower limit, no limit games. And it's like, wow, people are people are still playing. People are still playing like it was 2002. They're playing like very straightforward, average, weak type type of poker, or you get the loose aggressive types. That's when we won the show. I mean, that, I mean, this is, what, this is what we've been doing this week, kind of doing just general concepts, and there's not much of a slate to, you know, I'm not playing NBA tonight. So go over some, you know, concepts. And because people have asked me, it's like, oh, I, I don't play poker, but maybe I could learn something about DFS from reading poker books. Like, I'm not sure if that's, I'm not sure. Because if you don't know poker, I mean, you just like so many of the examples will be like, how do you relate that to DFS? But if you play poker, maybe you didn't play seriously, but you at least understand poker, certain poker, you know, variations, probably hold them, if anything. Then read something like the read the theory of poker. Read Harrington on Hold'em. Stuff like I know I know there's there's, there's more advanced stuff the mathematics of poker with John uh, <clears throat> Janda's book. There's a there's stuff that's come out the past couple of years that's pretty good, but the, to me I view the stuff that it, the stuff that I've read, I've read the past you know that's come out the past five or six years. Unless I, I I read this stuff and I go, unless you're playing like twenty five thousand dollar buy in tournaments, or you're playing like six handed cash game cash games with like the greatest players in the world, none of this. I don't think and most of it matters. You're never going to be in these situations where you, where you're where you're <coughs> where you're four bet. Air bluffing, where you're four betting with air pre-flop. Like I'm not. I just you're not. You, when are you ever going to get in a situation where you're going to have you're you're going to need where four betting with air is going to be a profitable move? Look at the game that I described. Like, dude, if you if if you four bet in a one two three hundred max game, you're getting called. You're getting you're getting called. There's no read that I don't see people three betting with nothing where you could now four bet with nothing. You rarely see people raise with nothing, with nothing or whatever, with weaker hands. I rare I barely three bet in these games. Rarely. You know why? Because most people raise with a hand. And they're more eager to protect, even if the hand isn't isn't technically, technically. Strong enough to withstand a three bet. So what the hell for that some solver says? Oh well, with king seven here against this range, like when when are you ever running into these situations? Maybe in tournaments, maybe. Yeah, I could see that. That's what I don't get. I, and it's not like I disagree with it. It's just that 
Like what players? It's it's the type it's the type of thing very similar to DFS, right? When people ask me, it's like you know, well, I play these games. You, uh, I'm I'm playing the the two hundred dollar three max and the hundred dollar whatever. I'm playing the Thunderdome or something like that. And I go like, well, how do I beat those types of games? It's like, why don't you just take all that volume and play in the lo- play as many of the low stakes games as possible against the weakest opponents and make money. What are you doing? What are you doing trying to beat the $5,000 contests? Take the $5,000 and play all the $5 contests. You can do that. You're allowed to. It's very similar to that. I, re- I read the new poker stuff and I go, yeah, this is great if I'm playing against if I'm playing against Phil Galfond. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, make, sure to, I'll make sure to read up the, on this next time I take, uh, I play his million dollar heads up challenge, right? It is great if I'm playing against Phil Ivy. Yeah, yeah. When when Phil Ivy comes into town and plays the one-two game at Caesars Southern Indiana, I'll make sure to 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 plug my leaks with the solver. Like, dude, you're playing against people that are average at best. There's not much. There's, there's, how much extra strategy do you need? Do you need to get to that? You need to get the fourth level stuff. Where now you have to you you you're holding a clicker in your hand to count the amount of times that you're like, dude, playing a different game at that point. You're playing in too tough a game. The hell are you doing? Right. That's what Daniel Hutchins says. Very few play at the highest level. Let's see. And now people are talking about hands and whatever. What does says we should do this weekly? I think. Well, we got some poker people in the chat. I, I knew some. Of you, I knew some of you played poker. Uh, Marie Dineasy said he used to compete at circuit events for the WSRP Vegas back in the mid to early two thousands. Good times. Okay, it's like riding a bike. Yeah, I wasn't much of a tournament player. I would play tournaments every so often. I just never really, I never really got into tournament. I did sit and I'm going to play, I'm going to play for 10 hours for nothing. And then you have to play every hand and everything. You can't just like get up and go grab a coffee, go have a cigarette, you know, like something like, like dude, too much, too much concentration for too little. You have to do all, all the, the, I, what ICB and whatever, like what, what, the, you have to do the, 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 the chip counts, right? Because there's, uh, there's other stats in, in tournaments that you how much the chips are worth compared to how much are left. And then you have the bubble play. Then if people are too tight on the bubble, you go in hand for hand. No, you know what I like? I like sitting down with a couple hundred bucks up to a thousand bucks or whatever. And then just, just, just playing one long poker game. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Eight hours later, 10 hours later, play for two hours, whatever. Just play for cash, right? That's it. Right, the independent chip model. There we go. I almost said I said ICBM. Like, like, isn't that a missile? That's a missile. Right. Daniel Hudson says poker tournaments are like GPPs. You just have to sit around for hours. Right. Exactly. Why would you want? It's like playing NBA DFS. Tournaments are like playing. In, I think tournaments are like playing the Christmas Day slate, which I don't even know if there is one. Is there one on Christmas Day? It's like playing the Christmas Day NBA slate. You know when they. One the first game starts at noon and the last game starts like starts at like nine o'clock and there's like six, six games and they they never overlap and then you just and seventy four people are on the injury report like that that's what a poker tournament is. Who wants to do that? 
Who wants to do that? <coughs> I like being able to get up. I, I like being able to not play my early position hands, right? I always schedule breaks typically in the, you know, UTG plus one, right? So if I'm going to take a little break, if I'm going to go to the bathroom, I'll UTG plus one, I'll miss UTG. I'll miss. And then I'll come in for my big blind, miss two hands. I'm never going to miss late position hands. Why? What the hell? Why am I paying the blinds? Trevor says, yeah, poker tournaments are like single-entry GPPs where you have to watch every minute of every game on the slate. Yeah, who wants to do that? I guess, but obviously the payouts are, are high, right? You put in a, a thousand, you can win, you know, half a million dollars or whatever. Like, dude, just play cash games. Dave Clark says, come on, Blender. We know you will sit around for six hours for MMA with Late Swap. Yeah, but I'm, I enjoy watching MMA. I'm I'm doing it not because it's like oh well this is this oh six hours of late swap and MMA whatever I actually enjoy I'm watching MMA regardless right if there was no late swap I'd still be doing it. I'd still be watching MMA for six hours NBA I wouldn't be watching no matter what I don't watch it even when I play DFS so why the hell would I want to do that okay so hopefully you got something out of it I don't know. That's why it's wild card, wild card Wednesday. Wild card, jokers, jokers wild. I also tell those jokes when people ask me what I have. What would you have that hand? I had two jokers. Two jokers said, yeah, but it, I had a royal flush. <laughs> I, say, I say it facetiously. I say it very, yeah, two jokers. I got a pair of jokers. Or sometimes when I fold, I'll say I had a pair of jokers. I just chose to have a much weaker hand than you. I chose to have seven two-offs. If you're getting jokers every hand, you know, whatever. You make, you make stupid jokes like that at the table, especially when, especially when you're not playing many hands. Like when I'm not getting many good cards or whatever, and I'm not, you know, even light position, I'm getting six-two or something like that. I don't want to, in a, in a, in a weaker game, I don't want to come across as like the nit, right? Because I, I, I want my raises to not be respected. I want nothing to be respected from me. So then I'll just talk more. I'll make more jokes. Talk about whatever. So it seems like I'm more active in the game. I'm not one of those put on sunglasses and headphones and, oh, this guy, this guy's a, a joy to play with. Like, it's recreation for other people. You're you're the entertainment value for other people. Once you learn that, that's a, that's a part of playing poker. I think so. I think a lot, a lot, a lot of, a lot of uh, players now that grew up in online poker, don't get that. <clears throat> that you can make a lot more money not being head down, headphones on, don't talk to anyone. And then finding private games and finding, you know, stuff like that. Like, oh, well, I'm going to play and could not. Dude, they're private games. Back in New York, <clears throat> like, private games were better than the casinos. Better than going out to Atlantic City or anything like that. But you're not gonna you're not gonna know where all the good private games are. You're not gonna get invited. You're not gonna be part of the clientele if you if no one wants to play with you. So either you're an action player or you're someone that people enjoy playing with to some extent. You don't have to be, oh hey, Bill, what's going on? You don't have to be all that, but you can't just be like, oh, it's the 22-year-old kid that stares at you for seven minutes and tanks. On a $3 bet. Like, don't be that guy. 
Daniel Hodgson says limit is my game. Limit is my game. They don't spread it. Dude, my 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 best game is middle limit hold. Easily. 15-30. I like the 2-3 ship line structure. 15-30, 20-40, 30-60, something like that. 10-20, whatever. Middle limit hold. That's the game that I learned how to play the best. Because I learned through online poker. So shorthanded middle limit holding. Like it, my perfect game would be a 15-36 handed game. Limit holding. But they don't who spreads that? No one spreads it. No one spreads nothing anymore. And then I got I went uh, I went uh two times ago to Las Vegas and I played 2040 at Bellagio. And that 2040 game, at least at the time, was like 800 times more skilled than I ever remember any limit hold'em game being. I'm like, yeah, because there's, because no, they don't spread many limit games anymore. So the people that are playing it, like the the two 2040 games going on at the Bellagio, are like, oh great, the the 18 best limit hold'em players in Las Vegas are there. Like 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 that's what it is. I played that for like two hours. I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna let me find a two five no limit game. Like, this is ridiculous. Half the hands are folded to the blinds. Like, half the hands. They go, okay, I'll open it up a little. So you open it up a little, and then they exploit the hell out of you. Then next thing you know, you're getting three bet on the on the, on the the turn we're there. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? This is ridiculous. Like, right? So go back and forth, and I go, like, where's, where's the, who who's making money at this table? Right? I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to exploit, and nope, they exploit you. And you go back and you can play straightforward. And no, they do. It's, it's, like, it's like the nine people here. Why are we sitting here? This is stupid. At least that, that was from my experience. Maybe other people that play Bellagio will say, oh, normally that game is wild or something. But I mean, I think I was playing on some like Thursday afternoon. Like so probably it's not like, like a prime peak time to play. And it was a boring game. Like, like six, there were like nine people at the table and six people had headphones on and sunglasses and, reading a book, listening to something. It's like, you are you looking at it? And, and after two hours, I'm like, every, everyone at this table is pretty good at minimum. And then I sit there and go, yeah, no one wants to play this game because look at this table. This looks like the most boring goddamn table in the, in the whole place. I'll get up. I'll play the 2-5 game with the guys that have martinis in front of them. Let's go. I don't care how good they are. Just make the game look fun. So I'm gonna, I don't know why people don't do that. Daniel Hutchinson says Bellagio 4080 is the toughest I've played by a good margin. Okay, so I'm, I'm assuming the 2040 in Bellagio, like the time that I played, I probably played with, with people that are playing the 4080 that are on the, like they had one 4080 game and they're waiting for a seat there or something, something like that. All I know is that it was, it was probably the toughest, the 2040 Bellagio when I played was the toughest limit game I've, I've ever been in. I'm like, Oh God, maybe, 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 maybe everything's changed. I don't know. Like, that's why I sat down. I go, okay, maybe I used to be good at limit holding. And it's like, I'm not bad, but I'm like, dude, like, like everyone here is like, no one's making mistakes. And everyone is aggressive. Usually I'm the one that's aggressive. Usually I I go up to the turning stone. This is back in like 2005, 2006. Go up to the turning stone because my friends would play, play the tournaments up there and I just play the cash games and they'd run a 1530 game. I'd run it over. 
very weak tight. And you just you just run the whole thing over. You make value bets. You go back and forth. I mean, dude, I I I think I, I went up for like like one week and I made like four or five thousand bucks in that game. Like that was easy. Then I go here to Bellagio and it's like, geez. It goes from folded around to the blinds to like four bets on the flop between three guys. And then like ace high wins on the on the river. And I go, this, 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 this is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Trevor says, poker has gotten much tougher now. So much more understanding from solvers. Even if you're adjusting from, from the GTO strategy, it's still tough in the players. Not, you, no, it hasn't. It hasn't. I'm telling you it hasn't. Then you're not playing in the right games. What What is the first lesson? I know we're going a little long, but what's the first lesson? The first lesson of the theory of daily fantasy sports. First lesson. First lesson. What will determine what has the biggest effect on your ROI in DFS? The biggest effect is the opponents that you play. That's the biggest thing. No matter how good you are or how anything, if you're playing against weaker opponents, worse people that make more mistakes, you will make more money. No matter how good you get, no matter what it is, all you have to do is be as bet as better against your opponents than anything else. So you're telling me that, oh, people are getting much more sophisticated. That, that just means I don't know what games you're playing because every time, every couple of months where I go to play poker, and I go, okay, maybe people have gotten better. They haven't. There's no game that I play other than the 2040 limit game at the Bellagio. I sit down in a 2-5 game at Bellagio and no limit game. It feels like I'm in, it's 2002. Doesn't, doesn't feel any different. No one's doing any, not, there's, there's nothing going on that's I'm seeing is odd. That's changed. People are still making, you know, they're playing without off equilibrium. They're playing straight for either black and white, and you could profile people. You can, I mean, not, I don't feel like anything has changed. Now, if you go play, yeah, you're going to go play the 1025 game, the 2550 no limit game. Yeah, at, 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 at Aria or something like that. Yeah, sure. Okay. Sure. If you're not playing, those, don't play those games. <laughs> you're not playing those games. I think that's the, that's the big difference. I'm coming from the attitude of like I play to make money. I don't play to be the best player in the world. I don't care. I don't. I don't care. If no one knows who I am. I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna sit down at a thousand max two five no limit game, and I'm. Let's see. Can I can I make can I make sixty five dollars an hour? And if I can't, okay. Then, then what does it matter? Do I do I need to, do I need to run solvers to do that? No. I'm playing against people that. They're not balanced. These people aren't balanced at all. They're nowhere close to balance. What do I have to worry about? I know that's that's at least my perspective. My attitude is if you need to, if you need to do all that. Now, obviously, if your goal is to like, I don't care about making money. I just care about being the most, the bestest, and whatever, and being the smartest. Yeah, sure. But I mean, I'm the very same way in DFS. I'm I'm I, I'm not the best DFS player. And I'm not looking to make a million dollars a year. Like, what can I do to maximize my chances of making fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars a year playing DFS with the least risk of going of risk of ruin? That's that's it. 
And that's the same way I approach, approach poker. Uh, right, Trevor says, probably the same in DFS too. Who the hell would play it if everyone built amazing lineups? Exactly. Trevor says he disagrees completely. GTO has approved nearly anyone's understanding to plug massive leaks. I agree that most of the GTO wizards are at the nosebleeds and crushing, but some of the one-two regs have been influenced somehow by modern training sites, which have been influenced by GTO solvers. To some extent, but not... Where are you playing? I'm telling you, I, I play... I play... Yes, over the past five to seven years, I don't play as much poker, nearly as much poker as I used to play. But every couple of months or whatever, when I, I'll go to Caesars Southern Indiana, or I'm in Las Vegas, or I'm back in New York, or something like that, I'll go sit in one of those types of games, and it, it it's not different. It's not different at all. And there, and, and maybe I'm playing with one or two players that are, that are pretty damn good. There's one good player. There was one good player that was sitting next to me the game yesterday. I paid attention to what they were doing. Like, okay. They know what they're doing. I'm probably not going to get into many hands with this person. There's anything. What is it that you'd be doing? I don't get it. What leaks are you plugging? I don't know. Daniel Hutchins says, I think game difficulty varies wildly by location, even for the same stakes. My local 3060 plays like the Bellagio 1020. Okay, for, for limit holding. Right, but it also depends. It also depends. I mean, dude, the, the 2040 at the Taj was nuts. I used to play in Atlantic City, limit holding. Nuts. You, you would never find a game like that. I mean, like, like that, there would be 36 bets in the pot on the turn. I mean, like, that's how nuts it is. We're essentially like, don't even bother. You're, you're getting seven way raised pots in every hand. And there's going to be two or three bets on the turn on, on the, on the, on the flop six ways. Every like it's, it's, it's essentially you're playing the slot machine. So good luck. Feel, feel free to feel free to come in with your ace jacks and try to win with one pair. No, you're going to be playing speculative hands and you have the odds and you just go oh, gut shot, whatever. I'm getting 700 to one or whatever. I mean, like that's the type of game it was. Is that a bad game? Is that a good game? Whatever. But it's, that's, that was, that was the game, but they're also, there were, Hey dude, there were plenty of, there were plenty of one, two, no limit games that were really tough in New York. And there were some that weren't, there were some five, 10 games. There were some five, 10, no limit games. That were the, the softest games in the world that I'd, I'd go to, I'd go to a club. They'd have a five, 10, no limit game running. And then have two one two five hundred max games that were tougher than the five the five ten game is it's eight whales, you know, laughing it up. There's seven hundred thousand dollars on the table, whatever, a lot of money on the table. Like so, the stakes don't matter. The clientele matters. Kevin Clunan says there has been a training sites for years and the game of poker changes. A certain strategy works for so many years, then it changes, always evolving. True. But who are you playing against? I keep on making this point. Am I, am I, am, 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 am I, am I the odd one? How come it feels like I'm crazy? How come, how come it feel like it, it, 
Like in DFS, you wouldn't hear this. Like in DFS, this, this, this is what people say in DFS. I guess maybe it's very similar. In DFS, people will say, well, everyone has projections. And I go, well, talk to your friend Jim. That makes makes lineups on the toilet. Does he use projections? He goes, no. It's like, well, that's 90% of the people that play DFS. And I go, no, you're, 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 you're wrong. Everyone uses projections. Dude, here at Roto-Grinders, people pay for Roto-Grinders, and they still don't use the projections. So it's like, like, oh, here's the theory of daily fantasy sports. TheoryDFS.com. Go buy it. You'll learn everything it is to know how to play game theory and DFS. Go, go buy it. It's, it represents like a half a nothing percent of the population. Yeah, people buy it, but not compared to the amount of people that play DFS. And then 95% of the people that do buy the course and get the tools and everything like that don't even use it. But uh, they're going to play whatever way they want. So you say, it's like, oh, everything is evolving. Like, how come I don't see it in the games that I play? What games are you playing? Get out of those games. Go find the better games. Why the hell? What, what the hell are you doing? I could probably I could probably call up someone and go go to New York City, call one of my old poker poker people, find some so find some private game, some private club somewhere. They're playing two five or five ten no limit or something, whatever, whatever it is. I could sit down there and I guarantee you. I could sit down at a nine-handed table and if you said, it's like, oh, if, if you asked even on the side, like, do you, what training sites do you, they'd go, I didn't even know there was training sites. What do you mean by training sites? I said, have, have you ever studied a solver, solvers for leaks in your game? They go, no, I don't even know what solvers are. Like, that's what the response would be. Solvers, I don't even know what that means. That's what it would be. So if you're playing, if you're playing in games, you're half the people at the table are like, yeah, well, I went to upswingpoker.com and and I learned from this, you know, I, I took, you know, I went to the, the card runners or whatever. Like, dude, what get the take your chips, rack them up, and go somewhere else. Why are you playing against the top five percent of people when there's 95% of people out there that are idiots? Go play. Go play where go play where you can look down at aces, raise, and get four callers, and then have a garbage flop and have someone shove top pair into you. Go, there's the money's there. What do you need solvers for that? Get people that overplay their hands and don't mind they're playing a deep stack uh, no limit game, and they don't mind going broke on the flop with top pair top kicker. They just all go to war. It doesn't matter. Effective stack size is five hundred times the size of the pot. They think in terms of, oh, I got, I, I, I have ace jack, and it, the board's jack high. And the guy that three bet me pre-flop and is now betting 150 bucks, I'm just going to shove here and run into kings. I mean, like, what, what, what do you need solvers for that? Those are those are good games. What games do you have to play in where you have to balance? When do you when do you three bet with king eight offsuit out of the small blind? Well, this guy raises on the button X amount of time. So with King Eight offsuit against this guy, it's like, dude, what the hell game are you in? Where you have to where that's the edge. Where they you need to know that because that's the edge. Like if that's the edge, then you're dead. It's like in DFS going in like, oh, I'm gonna play, I'm gonna play a uh a, a, a eleven man double up. And you look 
and you go, all you see is all reds. All you see is all the BK reader, McLovin, and everyone in there. Loves bases is in there. And you go, okay, well, I need to really fine-tune my projections and do it. I could do I could need to find that little edge that those people don't why, why don't you just play 11 man double up with people with no batters? And press the optimize button. Go, go to here. Here, here's your button. Here's your lineup. Here's your lineup. Let's go. Press optimize button. There you go. You played it. There you go. Done. You're done. I don't even know what's going on. But I know I'm playing against people that are going to play lineups that are five to ten points lower projected for no reason. So what the hell do I need to do all the other stuff for? Don't play in those games. And anything, anything that you could your 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 trading sites are talking about, you're gonna just get fancy play syndrome. You're gonna do you're gonna do stuff that like no one's paying attention to. Well, didn't this guy notice that that you know I three bet two thirds of the time here, and then he's they're not noticing. No one's noticing. They have no clue what's going on. They have some black and white clue. Oh, this guy raises a lot. Oh, this guy doesn't play many hands. Like that stuff like that. Polarized stuff, right? It's all polarized. That's how most average players think in a very polarized way. So that's what I don't understand. Like why? Oh, I need to I need to rerun my hand histories and whatever. Like what what do you what games are you playing? That's why it feels like I'm crazy. I feels like I'm feels like I'm crazy. Feels like I'm crazy. Dane Algin says, when I play, it's for a combination of entertainment and EV. Sometimes the 3060 is probably not beatable after rake. Sometimes it is. Depends on who sits down. Okay. Well, I mean, if you're playing for entertainment, like I always say. James McGuire says, people say to play on Yahoo, but the only people playing the cash games are all regs. Right, but the people playing the GPPs aren't. So go play whatever the large field GPP on Yahoo is. Then play that. But yeah, but that's that. But that's kind of the point that I'm making. It's not just a poker point. It's a DFS point. How much time should you be spending increasing your 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 skill by marginal percentages when there are games available where even at your skill level you're seven hundred times more advanced than your opponents? Right. Imagine imagine. Imagine I set up, I always use this example of me playing the the the, the four-year-old kid basketball, right? The four-year-old handicapped kid in a wheelchair with no arms, right? I have, to, I have to really give myself an advantage, right? If I have a game tomorrow, right? I'm playing a game of one-on-one against the four-year-old wheelchair, wheelchair, no hand, no armed kid in basketball. Like, am I, what am I, what am I, what am I practicing? My practicing, let me practice my footwork. Let me practice this, you know, little little ball technique or some, some, you know, the shots. I, I need to take three point shots from the, from the corner, dude. I'm playing a four year old in a wheelchair that doesn't have arms. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna just walk around the wheelchair and, and hit layups, right? I'm just gonna do that. Like, what do I have to do? I need to take three point shots? No, dude. The, the kid's in a wheelchair. He's four years old. He's this tall. You can't, I, 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 I could be the slowest person in the world. I'm just going to walk around the wheelchair and just lay the ball up. And even, I may only get it 80% of the time. And that's how bad I am at layups. 
So what the hell am I practicing? Why am I, why am I, why am I, what, what am I practicing? Yeah, if I'm facing LeBron James, yeah, yeah, I, I bet, I bet, I better start learning some stuff. Yeah, I better. But if I could constantly find, if every time I go to the pickup basketball court to bet on one-on-one games, I'm constantly finding four-year-olds in wheelchairs with no arms. Why don't I just continue playing the four-year-olds in wheelchair with no arms? Right? They're out there. They're, they're on the pickup path. You go out right now, right? Noon, unattended, maybe their mom's there, right? It's like a make-a-wish type of thing, right? On the basketball court, the pickup basketball court in Harlem, right? You go there. You go to West 4th Street, right, in Manhattan. They're there. They're waiting for you. They're waiting for you. They they have a hundred they have a hundred dollar Chris hundred dollar bill, right? They didn't hold it. I mean, it's obviously it's like kind of taped. It's taped to their chest because they have no arms, and they're there with their mom. They want to bet on a game of one on one basketball. So if you could find those people, and there's people out there playing, what? Why am I? Why am I working on my three point shot? Why am I? Why am I working on my, my, my? Like defensive ball handling ability. The kid's in a wheelchair with no arms. He can't even he can't even dribble the ball. This kid is just like rolling and kind of like trying to like bounce it off his head into the basket, and it's never going in. It's very easy rebounds. So what am I practicing? What? How far do I need to jump? I need to I need to work on my high jump. Why? The kid's four. The kid's four foot tall. He has no arms. I'm gonna get the rebound. So how so how what, what what do I need to practice? And if you tell me that I could go anywhere and find those, I could find I could I could find gaggles of these handicapped kids that bet on basketball. Why am I going to the gym and working on free throw shots? I'm just going to find all the kids. So that's the point. That's that's kind of the point that I'm making. Bierdota says, I guess now is not the time to ask who the better play is. Luka Doncic or Giannis? No, it's not the best time. Best time to give me those thummy thumbs. Give me the thummy thumbs. We, we, spent, we had a nice little chat on a Wednesday, right? Hey if, hey, if you people didn't want to talk about this type of stuff, then I, I wouldn't have talked about it, but people seem to like it in the YouTube chat. So hit the thumbs up button. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. We got, we got NBA slate tonight. We got uh, NFL stuff coming up. Of the game theory show for NFL for premium members on Friday. No MMA this week. Uh, next week there'll be some days off, uh, but I'll, I'll address that. I'll address that later in the week. So uh, for the first day of winter, first day of winter, it's chilly outside. It's pretty chilly. Come back tomorrow. We'll, we'll have. Uh, I don't know what we're doing tomorrow. Thursday. We can talk about whatever you want. I mean, it's kind of like during the week during NFL season. It's whatever. It's whatever you want. Pretty much most of the days. It's casual. It's casual Wednesdays. Whatever you want. Here on the DFS pregame show, Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern on rotogrinders.com.